Hello, hello. There we go. All right, so um, uh, if, if there are moms here, could the moms just stand up just real quick? I don't, I don't want to embarrass you, but just stand up. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, so we have a few moms. All right, okay, hey, stay standing, stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. So, uh, but what I also want to say, um, on the count of three, we're going to be as loud as you can in thanking them for just being moms, being great moms. So on the count of three, okay, one, two, three, clap as loud as you can now. Go, 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 go. All right. And it's Mother's Day, and they're still down here working with you guys, so that says a lot about them. Um, but my name is Dave. I'm the high school pastor here at the church, and Tim asked me if I would sub in for him today. So, of course, I said yes, because he's up in the main service uh, speaking to the uh, crowd all three services this morning. So um, uh, before I start, though, uh, I, I celebrated Mother's Day um, yesterday because um, Sunday's kind of a busy day for pastors. So um, took my wife to Austin. We love going down to Austin just to kind of go and, like, eat at those little food trucks they have everywhere. Have you guys done that before? Eat the little food trucks throughout Austin. It's kind of a fun thing to do. And, uh, and, and the last thing we did before we came home, it was, it was getting late, and uh, we noticed this crowd gathering um, on the Congress Bridge. And have you guys done the whole bat-watching thing before? Have you guys done that before? Um, there's like this urban colony of bats that there's like 1.5 million bats that live under the Congress Bridge, all right? And, uh, and at dusk every night, they fly out. And it's like they just keep on coming. Like they just keep on coming out. It's like one of those minivan commercials where kids just keep coming out of the minivan. Like there's like 12 kids in there, you know. It's kind of like that, but there's just tons and tons of bats just coming out of the, the Congress Bridge. And, um, and the funny thing was there's like tons of people on the side of the river that we're on. And uh, there's, this, there's this girl who I will admit she, she was a girl, but she, she kind of looked like she, you know, might be a guy, but you're going like, okay, I know that's a girl. She got like a stocking hat on, and she's kind of walking around collecting trash from people, saying, "Hey, if you want to throw your trash in here, that'd be great." And so, I mean, I of course, I was like, "I'm I'm a pretty astute person. I knew she was a female." And then, um, uh, and then, but the really funny part though was there's this older guy. She walks up and says, "Anyone have any trash?" And he goes, "I've got some trash," and everyone can hear this conversation. And he puts the trash in the uh, the trash bag, and he goes, "Thank you, sir." as loud as he could. And everyone just kind of went silent, and, and everyone goes, uh, that's a ma'am. And she goes, it's a ma'am, not sir, all right? And really embarrassing situation. And so um, I tell you that, Mother's Day tie-in, here it goes, don't ever refer to your mom as a dude, all right? Just don't ever do that. That's just rule number one, okay? So that's first off. So happy Mother's Day to all the moms in the room. Uh, we appreciate you being here. Um, I also want to just kind of see, like, what percentage of you guys are 5th grade, 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade. So if you're in 5th grade, go ahead and stand up real quick if you're in 5th grade. All right, so this is my 5th grade section over here, all right? And if you are in, like, you guys go ahead and sit down. If you guys are in, if you're in 6th grade, go ahead and stand up, 6th graders. All right, so 6th graders sit in the front row. You guys are in the spit zone up here in the front row. All right, 7th uh, grade, go ahead and stand up. Seventh graders, all right. And then last but not least, eighth grade. Stand up, eighth grade. All right, eighth graders. All right, so you guys will be in high school in a few weeks, and some of you guys are already taller than me. That's totally not fair. Um, but what I wanted to do, if you're, if you're eighth grade, go ahead and stand up if you're eighth grade. Stay standing if you're in eighth grade. And what I want to do 
is uh, I want to remind you about a couple things coming up. And I'm going to have um, my uh, trusty assistants over here to pass out. You're going to get a card and also a letter to give to your parents. And this did go out in the mail, but I want you to also hand deliver it to them. And this is basically a letter inviting you into um, high school ministry, tell you what to expect, and uh, that kind of thing. So get the letter, get the card, make sure you don't lose it, take it home to your parents. And um, as that's coming around, I'm going to remind you in a moment of a couple of things coming up uh, that are on the calendar. So when you guys get that, just stay standing until you receive what you have to receive, and we'll, we'll uh, get this taken care of. But I try to find ways multiple ways to communicate with you guys. And so we, we do the hand delivery, we do the mail, we do Pony Express, we do all kinds of stuff. All right, if you've got your stuff, you can sit down. And, um, and so here's the, what to expect for the eighth graders, here's what to expect in the coming uh, couple of weeks. Next Sunday, so listen up, eighth graders, look at me. Eighth grade, uh, May 20th, next Sunday, will be an incoming freshman parents meeting. Now, that's something that you can also go to as well. And that will be over here in the theater room just next door at 1230. Lunch will be provided for you guys. And uh, I'm basically going to just kind of um, let you guys know what to expect in high school, how to get plugged in to our high school ministry. That will be May 20th, which is next Sunday. And, uh, and then if you're doing impact training, of course, you'll be over here during impact. But um, if you're not doing impact training, you can join us for that meeting and have a lunch over there while everyone's doing impact training over here. And then uh, June 10th is Promotion Sunday, and that's really a fun morning because it'll be the morning before we start Impact Clubs the next week, and that'll be a chance for us to get to know you guys, and we're going to have a big breakfast in your honor. And we really try to make sure you understand as, as, as incoming freshmen that we, we like to honor uh, freshmen. You know, when you go to school, you get picked on as freshmen, right? Well, not at overflow, okay? We try to honor you guys and sort of raise you guys up, so expect that from our upperclassmen um, as you get to know them in the coming weeks. So mark those two dates on your calendar, and we'll look forward to uh, getting to know you guys. Now, um, I understand you guys have been in the book of First John, correct? Right? So I did study the right passage. That's good. Uh, that's always a good start. So um, I want to ask a question that's going to frame our entire talk this morning, and the question is this. How do we know we are saved? How do we know we're saved? Now, anyone ever struggled with that question before? Raise your hand. Ever had the thought, how do I really know if my faith is in Jesus? How do I really know if I have faith in Christ? So um, let me tell you a story. When I was, uh, I was saved at a fairly early age, if someone said, like, when were you saved? I would say, you know, probably around, like, four or five, but not really sure quite what it meant until junior high. And so at your age, when my faith, I would say, became real to me. And what I, when I, what I mean by that is I would say I understood what it meant to put my faith and trust in Christ. So eighth grade, I took it more seriously. And then move on to high school, 11th grade year, something happened that I would say was my crisis of faith, where I really asked the question, okay, how do I really know I'm saved? And what happened was I went to a Baptist church just outside of Washington, D.C., which, yes, I am a Redskins fan, so forgive me for that. Um, but just outside of Washington, D.C. is where I grew up, and, and, uh, and I went to a, a really conservative Southern Baptist church, and this church was, was a church that had an invitation after every service. What I mean by that is um, the pastor would preach. He would say, do you want to get saved, so to speak? Come down front, pray this prayer, and you're saved. That's kind of how they approached salvation and faith. And so 
So one day, the pastor stands before the congregation, and he says, okay, I have a, I have a really important thing I want to let you guys hear about, and I'm going to let this guy, this guy in our church, this leader in our church, make the announcement. So this guy gets up on stage. He's not the pastor. He's like a Sunday school teacher. And I've known this guy for my entire life at that point. He gets up in front of the church, and he says, in tears, he says, I think I just became a Christian for the first time this past Friday. And this guy's been teaching you know, kids and adults, the Bible for like 20 years at that point. And everyone just was going, whoa, wait, wait a second, what? And he tells, he tells a story and he's, he's in tears and, and I don't know if it was legitimate. I don't know if he like really wasn't a Christian before that and he became a Christian or maybe he just was misled. I don't, I really can't explain that much detail, but I know how it affected the rest of the church because that day, as you could imagine, there were like 25 people that went forward to pray the prayer of salvation because they were sitting there going, well, if he's not saved, then how do I know I'm saved, right? And I felt the exact same way. And so for three days, I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. All I could think about was, how do I really know I'm a Christian? How do I really know I'm saved? I was on the soccer team at my school, and literally during the game, I'd be obsessing about this thought, like, how do I really know I'm a Christian? I mean, the ball's, like, going right by me. I'm just going, how do I know I'm saved, you know? And, and I was just eaten up with this thought, this idea, this fear. So I met with my youth pastor that week, and we had this really, really incredible talk. And at that point, I knew that I was truly, truly saved. Because my big question, guys, listen, wasn't how do I know God's real? My big question was, how do I know my faith in him is real? How can I be sure that my faith in him is real? And so I want to attempt to answer this question for you as we look at 1 John chapter 4, uh, verses 17 to 21. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 John 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 17 to 21. And what I want to do, let me go ahead and turn there in my Bible too, because I have a uh, it's hard to manage with the microphone and the Bible, too. Here, let me pull this open. So I want to read to you just the, the two previous verses before we get into verse 17, because these are important as well. I don't have them on the screen for you, but look back, uh, with me in verse 15 of chapter 4. And it says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So verse 15 explains, I think, fairly clearly, if you're someone that says, yes, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. I believe that Jesus rose again on the third day. If you believe those things, and it's not just an intellectual mind thing, but you're putting your personal faith and trust in that, then I would say, it says here, then God abides in you. God abides in you, and you abide in him. In verse uh, 16, it says, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Do you guys get the feeling whenever you read First John that you're like, that sounds really good. Now, what does it mean, right? That sounds like a really powerful, but what does it actually mean? He uses all these languages, God and love and and. He ties them all together, and you find yourself saying, what did he just say, right? And so I want to look 
Look with me down at, at verse 17, where he continues. He says, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. And when he says, by this is love, what he means by that is, if we abide in God and God abides in us, he's saying that we can have confidence as we stand before God. As we stand before him, we can have confidence because we have abided in him. He's abided in us. This does not mean that you can lose your salvation. All right. If you read John, it looks like at times like he's saying you can lose your salvation sometimes. That's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying at all. I think what he's saying is if someone is truly a believer, if they truly have the Holy Spirit in their life, then they are going to abide in him. Right. It's not an issue of like, okay, if you mess up, if you stop abiding, then, all right, you're out. Now, someone might prove they were never a Christian at all, even though they thought they were, if they stop abiding. That might happen. But I don't think John is at all saying that you can lose your salvation, so we don't have to fear that, that reality. But what it's saying here is that you can have, you can have confidence. It says, that Christians, people who are abiding in God, God's abiding in them, they can have confidence before God. Now, in the words of my high school students, this does not mean, confidence does not mean swag, all right? All right, I don't know how, how, how far that word's gone down to what grade you're at, but um, that, that's short for swagger for them, those that may not know. I don't want to insult your intelligence, though, so I'll just I'll back off that statement now. But, um, but confidence does not mean swag. Confidence does not mean arrogance, uh, being cocky, prideful. That's not what confidence is. Things like you know, swag is about us. Swag is about, okay, look at me. Look how cool I am. Look at what kind of person I am. Swag is about putting myself on a pedestal. Confidence is about Jesus. Confidence is about putting your confidence in Jesus. So as a Christian... Jesus Christ, his life and his death, his burial, his resurrection has been applied to you if you're a Christian. So when, when God the Father sees you, he didn't see you. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. So his righteousness has been given to you so that you can have full confidence as you stand before God the Father. You don't have to fear. You don't have to live in that kind of fear. You can have confidence because your confidence is not in yourself. It's actually in the perfect one who is Jesus Christ. Your confidence is in him. Now, in uh, the next verse, I want you to see is verse 18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So here's what this verse is saying. Because of God's perfect love for us, because of God's perfect love for you, you don't have to live in fear. I want to let that just sink in for a moment. Because of God's perfect love for us, for you, if you're a believer, you don't have to live in fear. Now, this is not talking about fearing consequences because of your sin. Like if you do something really, really stupid, right? It's not saying, like, I don't have to fear consequences because, you know, I'm good, right? It's not talking about, 
like earthly consequences for sin that we might commit. Because there, there are some built-in consequences of things that we do, right? I've got a four-year-old son, and I'm trying to teach him this reality that whenever I say no, it's for a reason. I'm not just trying to steal his joy. I'm not just trying to be a mean ogre, right? I'm not just trying to be... We lost the microphone again. You guys are messing with me in the back, aren't you? Um, so, uh, but it's not like I'm trying to be mean to him. It's that, it's that I'm trying to protect him, right? I'm trying to protect him, and it, it's for his own joy. And so um, we, we should fear certain earthly consequences if we, if we make stupid, dumb decisions. But when it comes to eternal consequences, if you're a believer in Christ, you put your faith and trust in him, you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in fear. And so the question I want to ask you is, do you, do you live in fear not knowing where you stand before God? Is that a constant thing for you? Do you live in fear not really knowing where you stand before him? When I was in junior high, um, I actually had quite a bit of fear uh, growing up, not really understanding, okay, do I really, am I sure that, that my salvation is secure? How do I really know if my faith is real? How can I be sure that my faith has been put in Jesus Christ? And I would live in this fear. And, and anybody in the room ever, like you, you, you did the whole uh, salvation prayer when you were a kid, and you put your faith in Christ, you thought, and then later on you go, man, but I'm, I really mess up a lot. And so maybe I'm not really a Christian. I, I'm going to go do it again. I'm going to go pray that prayer again, right? That's how we think, right? That's how all of us have probably lived out our faith. And this verse is saying that you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in, in fear asking those kinds of questions. And so what I want you to do is uh, look at the screen. I want you to get this point. If you, if you like to write stuff down, write this down. Here's the really, really good news. Your salvation is not based on your perfect love for God, but on God's perfect love for us. Your salvation is not based on your perfect faith. It's based on a God who is perfect. You get that? I want you to really let this sink in. Because if you're someone who sits there and says, God, I'm not really sure my faith is good enough. I'm not sure my faith is complete enough for me to truly be saved. You're living out a works-based salvation if you say that. You're basing your faith on the perfection of your faith and not the perfect love of God. You're, you're living out your faith based on, okay, how good can I be before him? That's what's going to make me saved. That doesn't make you saved. You're saved by putting your faith in his perfect love for you, in his perfection, not your perfection. And so I want you to get this. Salvation is not based on our perfect love for God, but on God's perfect love for us. Our salvation is not based on, a, on our perfect faith, but on a perfect God. Can you imagine for a moment if our faith was based on our behavior, if our salvation was based on our behavior? I mean, we would be, our stomach would be in knots continuously, right? Just knowing that, okay, I messed up here, I messed up here. God's going God's to condemn me. God's going to reject me. God's going to, I mean, imagine living in a relationship with God, if it really was just based on our behavior, our works, just think about that for a moment, what that would look like for you day to day, how your life would be lived out. 
Because here's the reality. All of us have sin or began as sinners separated from God because of our sin. And so my, my son just recently began to understand this principle. Um, of course, I mean, he knows that he does bad things. Like, he's very aware of that. We remind him of that constantly, okay? Um, but he's about to be five, and just a few months ago, um, we got him this Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a really good uh, Bible to read to little kids because it ties every story, like, into Jesus. And so we really push this idea of, like, it's all about Jesus, all about Christ. And so um, there's a story he loves to read that um, is surprising to me, but he loves the story of Jesus on the cross. What I think is really cool, he loves that story so much. So we're reading the story, and uh, the, the big bad Roman guards are, are escorting Jesus um, down the pathway where he's carrying the cross. And there's a picture there. And, and so my son says, he says, hey, Daddy, um, those are the bad men, aren't they? And I said, well, well, yeah, I mean, you could say that. I mean, they're, they're, they're taking Jesus to his crucifixion. But I said, Landon, you know, everyone, everyone is bad, right? Everyone's a sinner. And he just looks at me and goes, no, no, everyone's not a sinner. And I go, oh, yeah, they are. Everyone's a sinner. I go, daddy's a sinner. And he goes, you're not a sinner. And I go, oh, yes, I am. I'm a sinner. And he goes, he goes, well, mommy's not a sinner. And I go, how much time do you have? (laughs) Oh, yes, she is. Right. And he's just blown away at this new revelation that everyone's a sinner. And I'm going, yeah, I know, I know that you knew you were a sinner, but everyone else is too. And so it's a perfect chance though, to set up the gospel and say, that's why we need Jesus. We can't base our walk with him on our behavior, our good works, because without Christ, everything, everything is null and void. Without his righteousness being applied to you, everything else Everything else is null and void. So, so there aren't good people and bad people. When you're a little kid, you think in the world in terms of there's good people and there's bad people. Like every movie, every cartoon that you watch, there's like the good person and there's the bad people. There's the, the hero and there's the villains, right? And so you see the world in those, in those terms. But as you grow, you realize, no, everyone is the villain. Everyone is bad except Jesus, Right? So the world's not good people and bad people. It's everyone's bad until they meet Jesus. And then because of his righteousness, they are seen as righteous because of, of his perfection, because of his perfect, perfect love. So the question is, how do we know we're saved? How do we know we're saved? Write this down, this next question. Are you putting your trust in your works? Or are you putting your trust in the work of Jesus? Are you putting your trust and faith in your works, or are you putting your trust and faith in the work of Jesus for you on the cross? Look at verse 19, the next verse. It says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. To summarize this verse, this verse is saying, 
You can't say that you love Jesus while you hate other people. You can't say that you love Christ, that you want to be a follower of Christ, if you have a hatred in your heart towards other people. That's what this verse is saying, a summary of this verse. And so what this verse is also saying is that whenever you fully understand God's perfect love for you, it completely sets you free to love other people. When, when God's love for you has taken root and you understand the perfection of his love for you, that's when your heart is set free to truly love people in the way that Christ wants you to love people. He is saying in this verse that God's perfect love, it drives out fear. And so most of us, many of us, if we're, if we're going to struggle with loving someone, it's usually because we have a fear of being able to trust people. But here's the really cool part. When you trust God in his perfect love for you, listen to me. When you trust God in his perfect love for you, you no longer have to fear. You no longer have to fear whether or not you can trust people because you have put your faith and trust in a perfect God. So when imperfect people, people who aren't perfect, let you down, it's okay because you've, you've put your faith and your trust in a perfect God. That's where your, your trust is. And so I want to read to you a story. This is kind of a fictional story to kind of show you how perfect love really does drive out fear and how this might work itself out in the body of Christ. And so here's the story, and the, the guy's name is Matt, but it's not anyone that I know. It's just a guy named Matt, so just listen to it. Don't think, it's, is, it, is it that guy, Matt? Is it this guy, Matt? It's not anyone in the room here, so just listen to the story. When Matt became a Christian, he was bitter at people and thought everyone was against him. Matt just could not believe that God accepted him with all of his faults. Every time something went wrong, he was sure God was punishing him. Even when everything went smoothly, there was always a fear that kept Matt from feeling peace or satisfaction. Then Matt became a member of a loving church where the people accepted him as he was. They understood his behavior, overlooked his insults, and they returned only love to him. They invited this unpleasant young man into their homes. Gradually, Matt began to realize that these people loved him in spite of himself. He could be real with them, and they still cared. For a time, Matt actually became worse, testing their love to see if it was real. Finally, he was convinced. He was convinced that he was truly loved by these people. With this discovery came great peace. Through the love of his brothers and sisters in Christ, he experienced the reality of God's love for him. The message of Christ and the cross that he now believed released him from fear when he found a community of people who displayed God's love in this world. He was free to love others. This is exactly how it's supposed to work. God's perfect love, it sets us free to love others. It sets us free to love the people that are around us. Because when you start to acknowledge that a perfect God loved you, who was, who was not perfect, it sets you free to love other people who also aren't perfect, right? You start to realize, okay, I'm not perfect, and God still showed me his perfect love. So the least I can do is show my not perfect love to other not perfect people, imperfect people, right? And so when you get this, it totally sets you free. 
in your, in your friendships. Um, you know, I think one of the things that, uh, that we fall victim to, um, I see this a lot in my, uh, just if you watch TV, if you pay attention to things, um, you'll, you'll hear people say things like this. They'll say things like, if you're really going to love other people, you first have to love, fill in the blank, what do they say? Yourself, right? If you're really going to love other people, you first have to love yourself. That is total bunk, guys, all right? Just so you know, that is completely false. I'm not even sure how you, you love yourself, right? Because I'm pretty sure that my biggest struggle in keeping me from loving other people is the fact that I love myself too much. Can we agree to that? I think the biggest issue that we have is we love ourselves too much. We're too concerned about me, right? That's what's keeping me from loving others the way that I, I should. So this last quote I want you to read. You do not love others by first loving yourself. You love others by understanding that God loves you. That's where it starts. You don't, the first step is not, I got to love myself really well. Then I can love other people, right? The first step is love Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus, and that's going to set you free to love other people the way that you, the way that you should. So I want to close with uh, having you guys just close your eyes briefly. And I want you to think about this for a moment. So go ahead and close your eyes. And I want you just to think with me for a moment. <clears throat> I want you to imagine for, for a moment <clears throat> if, if we could possibly, not that we can even do this, but if we could possibly assign a number to the people that you love in your life. So on a scale of 1 to 10, I know this is kind of, weird. You're not used to this idea. And it's hard to quantify love. I understand that, but just bear with me on this. So on a scale of one to 10, I'm going to ask you, how much do you love so-and-so? And I want you to think in your mind, just assign a number of, on a scale of one to 10, one being not very much at all, 10 being a lot. So on a scale of one to 10, go ahead and close your eyes. You can kind of imagine this. Um, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you love, how much do you love God? Just think to yourself, how much, how much do I love God? How much do you think you love your best friend? How much do you think you love Justin Bieber? That was a joke for the ladies. Sorry. Okay, forget that one. Forget that one. All right, so we'll go back to your friends again. Listen, listen. All right, close your eyes again. Close your eyes again. How much do you think, on a scale of one to ten, how much do you think you love your other friends? Not your best friends, but your, your just acquaintances, your friends. How much do you think you love your parents? How much do you think you love your brothers and your sisters? What number would you give them? Now, moving into another group, how much do you think you love that annoying kid at school? Now, not your enemy, but just that person that just kind of annoys you, right? Now, I want you to think in your mind, keep your eyes closed, think about what number would you assign to your most hated enemy or enemies? What number would you assign to them on a scale of 1 to 10 on how much you love them? Now, now do this with me. Keep your eyes closed. I want you to take the number that you assign to your worst enemy and put it next to God. Because according to this verse... It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is 
a liar. He's a liar. I'm going to pray for you, and you guys can go to breakouts. Go ahead and pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it convicts us. Thank you for how it shapes us and molds us. Thank you for just the way that you use it to show us our sins so that we can turn and repent and turn towards Christ. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your grace to us. And God, I pray that if anyone in this room feels like they don't truly know you, God, I pray that you would only, this morning, you would only have kids wrestle with that thought if they truly need to, if they truly need to wrestle with that thought. For the ones that are truly saved, I pray that you would give them assurance, that you would help them understand that their faith is not based on, their salvation is not based on the perfection of their faith, but it's based on a God who is perfect. But I also pray that those that might need to wrestle a little bit would would wrestle and and would would wonder and be driven to their knees in repentance uh, before you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Uh, Stack your chairs up if you can. And the discussion questions are on the back uh, sound booth area back there for the leaders to grab.